Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight, uh, as always, on Thursdays, uh, starting out with a great Coach's Corner panel uh, discussion this week. And I've got two great professionals who I'll bring on here in just a moment, uh, John Hughes and uh, Peter Egazarian. Of course, they've both been on the panel uh, many, many times before, and I'll, I'll give you all of their info here in just a moment. And then a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be uh, joined by Sam Adams. He's a life member of the PGA of America, and uh, he's uh, been interested in coming on the show for a little while. And we uh, we set this up uh, probably a little over a month ago now, maybe two months ago, and uh, very excited to have him on. He's never been on before, and uh, I know we're going to have a great discussion in the second half of the show. But uh, uh, anyways, always glad to have uh, the Coach's Corner panel. love starting the discussion uh, each uh, Thursday off with that. And, uh, but first, let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live uh, on Thursdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on blogtalkradio.com's network. And uh, easiest way to find us is, of course, go to blogtalkradio.com. Up in the search key, type Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the uh, main page. And, of course, the show uh, during the live broadcast will always be sort of front and center. Uh, for some reason, if you can't join us uh, during the live broadcast, not, uh, not to worry. Just go to that link and scroll down to the on-demand section in all of the uh, previously aired shows, including tonight's are auto-recorded, and it will be down there in the on-demand section uh, for you to uh, browse and listen to at, at your convenience. Uh, if you want to call in anytime during the live broadcast, we would love to hear from you. The number to call is area code 646-716-4667. That's 646-716-4667. Uh, or you can email any questions or comments to me about the show uh, at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Uh, or if you're somebody in the golf industry and you want to reach out to me as well, if you think you've got something to share with the audience, uh, you can reach out to me at the email address as well. It's ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Uh, as always, uh, of course, update on social media on Facebook. Uh, golf Talk Live blog is the main uh, uh, page. Uh, update every week uh, who's going to be on the show and, of course, the panelists. Uh, also on Twitter, those of you who want to follow me on Twitter and get updates there as well, you can do so by following my Twitter handle at Ted and Buck CEO and CEO, of course, is in capital letters. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to start off with a coach's corner, and uh, I've got two great guys here uh, joining me on the panel tonight. Uh, first up, of course, is John Hughes, been on many, many uh, times on the program. Uh, he's a PGA Master Professional, uh, as well as the Vice President of the North Florida uh, PGA Section, and uh, also the uh, 2013 PGA of America Horton Smith Award recipient, as well as a Top 30 instructor uh, with Golf Tips Magazine. And uh, certainly been on here a number of times as well. Is uh, Next is uh, Peter Egazarian. He's a both PGA and TPI uh, teacher professional with Draconic Golf Club, and he's also the founder of uh, the Northeast Golf Performance and a member of the Proponent Group. Uh, guys, uh, good evening and welcome to Coach's Corner. Good evening, Ted. Great to be here. All right, thanks, guys. Um, well, well, let's get right into it then, um, 
as I was sort of leading up just before we, we went live, I, I think we really think with so much uh, free access to, to online golf instruction, online videos, et cetera, how do you or how do we as golf instructors um, compete with that? Um, John, I'm going to let you go first. What are your thoughts on that? How do we, there's just so much information that the students uh, and, and uh, amateur golfers are, are confronted with out there, uh, both online and in magazines. Um, how do we sort of combat that? How do we, how do we deal with that? How do we compete? Well, for, first, thanks for having me on again, Ted. Always a pleasure to be here. Uh, Peter, glad to be on with you as well. I, I don't look, I, as I was saying before we went on air, I'm actually tussling with a lot of this myself, trying to put together a couple of platforms that include video. And as I've looked at it from a competitive level, I've actually viewed a lot of video and seen a lot of video and whether it's YouTube or some subscriptions here and there that I have free and or paid for. And there is a ton out there. There, There's absolutely a ton out there. And it's uh, very confusing for me, someone who knows what we're trying to accomplish when someone's in front of us. And that's to have the person enjoy the game more and improve their skills. And I think at the end of the day, the way a client, an amateur, competitive amateur, a hobbyist can look at all this is you get what you pay for. Uh, right. But at the same time, there are some paying subscription sites, uh, uh, YouTube channels, that kind of thing that you have to be guarded against because people are off on a, their own little journey and, and what they want you to believe is to be gospel that it's set in stone and that's the only way it should be and i think as people evaluate where they get their information they've got to understand that there's no right or wrong way there's a correct way for you and it could be a hodgepodge of a lot of different systems theories philosophies uh if you're going about it that way that's a healthy way of doing it if you go into it with i'm going to buy into one system that's another great way of doing it too but at the same time for every yin there's a yang for every positive there's a negative for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction you have to be ready for that to happen and be willing to take the lumps and not make excuses because at the end of the day it is uh community access community uh engagement and it's out there for the entire world to figure out, hey, is this for me or not? Uh, I don't look at it competitively. I do from an internal and entrepreneurial standpoint of view, but for the listeners out there, I, I feel more compelled to talk about it that way S- simply because I get a lot of people to come to me and say, wow, I'm so confused of what I've seen. Can you help me unconfuse it? And that's typically the yeah. reasons why they're confused. Yeah, that's that's and those are some great points. And you're and you're exactly right. I, I think we have to really kind of embrace it, and I think we certainly have to be aware of it. Peter, um, let me just throw a little bit different twist to this um, question: Is this an opportunity um, for teacher professionals such as ourselves to, um, in addition to familiarize ourselves with what is out there? So that when we're faced with the question that we've all had, um, you know, I watched this uh, video last week or, you know, I, I saw this article in, in such and such magazine, uh, you know, talking about this. Is it an opportunity for us 
to maybe further explain the differences in what a student's going to find when they go out there and not just um, be combative about it and saying, well, you know, don't listen to this or don't read that or don't look at that. Is it a way maybe to use it at, to our advantage a little bit um, when we're working with our students? Yeah, that's a good question. And Ted, thanks for having me on. And uh, John, great to be with you. Um, I have a large amount of empathy for the amateur golfer right now, and I express that to them on a, on a regular basis for the amount mm. of information that is either forced on them or not forced or chosen to consume because, like John said, it is very conflicting. Um, right. And, I, and I, I do educate myself on... Um, who I can steer people toward, um, mm-hmm. you know, like I would say, you know, I've probably steered people towards Joe Mayo a lot um, and mm-hmm. just educate myself on the people that I can say, okay, you know, you, you choose to, you know, consume things on, on YouTube, you know, here's, you know, two or three people that I can recommend that really are giving um, information that's, you know, uh, that I can, I can reinforce but at the same time, I, I also am starting to see, especially in the younger people, because I am on a college campus that, and even, you know, seeping into the older generation, that they're starting to see a lot of this as white noise because there's so right. many people that are doing it. And then they see so many people provide, or having that conflicting information and they're educated. They're they're educated people. They're not they're not they're not stupid. They see it, and it's becoming to become so passe that I just don't do it. I do yeah. not participate. You will not see I you will not see a single video of me standing in front of a camera, telling giving tips. I just don't do it. I might give right. some information. I might share my outlook on. Um, how they can change, you know, work on their mindset. I just do not participate because I feel as though it's white noise and it's a waste of my time. Yeah, and that raises an interesting, and that's an excellent point. Um, and let me just clarify for, for any of the other uh, coaches and, and teaching professionals that might be tuning into the show tonight. Um, I, I don't want to um, give a false impression that you know, those of us out there that may have an online presence, that there's anything wrong with that. But there's, there's, as you guys have both pointed out, there is a lot of it out there. There is, and Peter, you put it really in a great way, is there's a lot of white noise out there. Um, certainly some great instruction. I'm not knocking anybody. I don't think anybody here is knocking anybody that wants to have an online presence. I think it, it's, it's, you know, it's the way of the future, I think, that you have to have in some capacity uh, an online presence. But I think what happens... more often than not is that there's those that may not be qualified um, may not necessarily be golf instructors maybe just people that have uh, you know want to have something to say they have a a golf blog or what have you and they want to offer their opinion and quite often and John and and Peter I'm sure we've we've each experienced this in in many uh, instances where somebody will come in and they've read something or they've seen something and you know right away once they get into the explanation that it's just not something that is going to be beneficial for them. So this brings me to the next question uh, that I lead into, and that is, uh, and Peter, we're going to go backwards. I'm going to start back with you, and then we'll go to John. Is can students get in their own way 
in their own way of progress? How do we assure them that what they're often seeing or re- reading online might contradict with what you're teaching? So um, can they get in their own way of progress um, by absorbing too much of that white noise, as you put it? Absolutely. Um, over-informed. I feel as though the player right now is over-informed. Um, things have become too complicated, and I more so spend time helping people simplify and taking away mm-hmm. things that they've consumed and sorting through all the information through discussion and and categorizing things in either constructive or unconstructive and helping them sift through it all because I'm not knocking anybody. It's just the fact that it's the reality of the in the ecosystem right now. It's that everybody, you know, has, has a platform. They should feel free to express their, you know, their information, but people are extremely over-informed and um, as for my own, you know, coaching, I'm I'm very player centered. Um, right. This is the most I've talked all day. Um, so <laughs> I I ask a lot of questions and you know I help them realize you know what's constructive and you know what is really a, a sound avenue for them to go on individually. Yeah, and and, and that's uh, you know I agree with that as well. I think that. You know, we, we all have our own individual styles. John, I'm going to get to you in just uh, just a second here. Um, you know, we all have our own different styles and approaches and, and theories, if you will, in some cases. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and I'm all for having, as I said a moment ago, an online presence. I think it's, it's good. I think it, it's engaging. But as you pointed out, Peter, and, and John, I'm sure you'd agree, that it can be overwhelming. And, and, and some students um, that have fallen into that trap uh, I think this is part of the reason why a good number of people um, have gotten into the game and gotten right back out because, John, I'm sure you would agree, you know, golf can be a hard game on its own. And when you're getting 20,000 different, you know, feedback loops from all kinds of video and, and whatever other uh, social media platforms that may be out there that are offering, uh, you know, tips and training and all this kind of stuff, um, it can be overwhelming. And I think a lot of uh, students out there get in their own way. And then by the time they're coming to us, they've had so much information shot at them that, you know, we've got to sort of decipher and and get back to basics with them. Um, What are your thoughts on on the student getting in their own way? And, and, um, you know, how do you sort of combat that that theory of of sort of contradicting what you're trying to teach them? Well, if they're going to get in their own way, consume all the white noise, that's what keeps you, me, and Peter in business. So I'm all for it, uh, <laughs> number one. Uh, the, the the real reason why people get in their own way is be, I, I see it in three different barrels. One is they've got no clue what it is that they're trying to do. B, the ones that do know what they're trying to do are trying to get in their own minds overeducated, but they don't become overeducated. They become extremely confused and overwhelmed. And uh, that word again. And then the third barrel is the person who knows what they're doing, knows what they're trying to accomplish, knows what they're trying to improve, but yet is second guessing. Uh, they're second guessing themselves. 
who they're putting faith in, whether it's a coach, a teacher, uh, a mentor, whoever, and it literally falls into those three categories. I think if you look back at history, when the major magazines came out and they were all about editorial at first and then maybe a little bit of fluff about travel and such, and then in the 60s with really good photography, we started seeing instruction. And it wasn't right. that long ago, we're all old enough as instructors, and we're sort of giving a history lesson to the younger generation listening, that there'd be people coming to us and saying, geez, I got so confused reading all those magazines. Well, what's the difference between that being overwhelming and now being overwhelmed by video? It's the exacerbated amount of that information. I agree totally with Peter if you fall in one of those three categories, it's very easy to get overwhelmed, confused, and just get to the point where you throw your hands up and either say, forget it, I quit, which is not what we want yeah. you to do. And quite honestly, it's your own fault. It, I'm not going to take blame for something you've done, uh, but I'm right. there to help you. Uh, what you've got to realize is that, hey, I am confused and I do need a little bit of help. A lot of what's out there is free, period. It's free, and you do get what you pay for. Now, there's a lot of good free stuff out there. Don't get me wrong. You, sure. you have to spend hours upon hours deciphering what is good and what may be good for the goose may not be good for the gander. It, there's just so much out there, and everybody's different. So it is a time investment. So at the end of the day, what someone's got to figure out is what is their time worth and what is the time worth getting someone to help them make it easier. I'm on Peter's page. I'm always trying to make things easier. Get rid of all the extra, extraneous variables, the ones that have no bearing on what you're trying to get accomplished. How much is that worth versus spending four, five, six, seven hours in front of a screen having your eyes go blind trying to figure out does this apply to me or not? Yeah, and, and that's 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 a, some excellent points. You know, uh, John and Peter, I think one way really to sort of look at this is, you know, I'm, I'm all for video. I'm all for many of the other apparatus that are out there. But I think if if your student is spending more time reviewing and, and looking at um, you know, during their lesson and not actually out there performing the act, they're not learning anything. They might as well be mm -hmm. sitting in a classroom somewhere and absorbing it that way. And, and, you know, we don't need to go to the, to the practice tee anymore out to the driving range. Uh, we can just do it in a classroom format. And, you know, I, I think a lot of this information, and this leads, I think, very well into the, to the next question here, uh, and that is, and, and, and John, I'm going to let you take a, a deep breath, and, and I'm going to start with you, and we'll work I'm backwards right. again. I'm right. um, but, you know, how do we keep them informed? We, we want our students to be informed with what's new out there, obviously, as, as things change. I mean, we, we want to be uh, updated with, with some of the, the new technology and, and that. We want to certainly keep them informed if we feel that something is, is appropriate or applicable. But at the same time, we don't want to overwhelm them. So how do we find that balance um, of, hey, this is – something out here I think is going to help, uh, you know, uh, Ted with your game. But, uh, you know, at the same token, uh, you know, you don't want to hit them with so much information that they're scratching their head for a week. And the next time they come for their next lesson, they're still trying to figure out what you were talking about the last lesson. How do you, uh, how do you balance that? I, again, I balance it in simplistic 
simplistic communication, trying to eliminate variables that don't apply. Uh, whether they've schemed it up on their own, they've found it on YouTube, they've gone to see another instructor. Uh, I recently had a client come for what I call an evaluation, and he basically admitted to me he was confused. I asked him why. And he told me, too many YouTube videos, too much this, too much reading of this, and I need some help. Well, the evaluation wasn't there to help. It was to evaluate, here's where your skills are, and here's how I can help you. And he got really mad. Uh, and I, he was looking for more information. And what I told him is I said, look, you've told me more than once during this 45-minute session that you're confused. Why do you want yeah. more to pile on to that? And he just sort of looked at me and said, you know what? You're right. Now, I haven't heard back from him because he's the kind of guy that unfortunately doesn't want to learn. And as an instructor, I had to learn this the hard way myself is the old adage of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Forget, throw yeah. that out the window. Just to totally throw that whole thing out the window and rephrase it this way. All we can do as instructors is create a pond. We can't lead them there. Right now, it's very difficult. Uh, if you spend a lot of dollars on marketing, yeah, we're going to lead you there. But we can't make you drink because there's so many choices. It's like walking into a craft beer place with 1,900 different draft beers in front of you. It's, it's yeah, hard. Right. Yeah, you're exactly it's right. It's hard. And uh -huh. that's what people are faced with. And when, when you walk into such a brewery, what do you get? It's going to take you half an hour just to figure out what you want. That's what that's what's going on. So the way I balance it, I just like Peter, I'm asking questions to find out not necessarily how confused you are so much as how much intake have you consumed? How much engagement into this kind of information, whether it's video, magazines, talks, sitting around the card table with your buddies, I don't care where it is, how much of this information have you consumed and how are you regurgitating it? And that's how I balance it out as a coach. Uh -huh. uh, and that's worth its weight in gold. Uh, I, can't, I can't emphasize that enough to – have someone, anybody who's very reputable, who's done their homework, who understands how to get you where you want to go, pay them a little bit to get you unconfused. You don't have to take a lesson. You don't have to learn anything new. Let's prioritize and simplify it so all this information that you consumed can be consumed versus chucking it up somewhere. Yeah. Um, let me just say for the record, uh, you know, after four or five beers, that 1900 doesn't seem as daunting after, after a while, the choices get a little bit easier. Um, uh, but anyways, it, it, I'll, after I'll four or five, it may look like 3,900 if you're blurred. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, let me just, uh, uh, say something with respect to, to that particular individual. I, I think something too that, and, and I think that golf the industry doesn't realize um, and hasn't learned from other industries. The problem with a lot of this um, information overload, if you will, is society has become overstimulated with everything from social media and things like that. And I think what happens is individuals, like I don't care what age they are, 
if there's somebody that is continually on social media engaging or, or, or reading or sifting through the, the different bits of data that are coming through, I think what happens is, on a, even on a subconscious level, I think they're overstimulated and they don't know how to turn it off. And I think what happens is when they come to you, they've got all this information and they're looking for more stimuli and you're not able to give it to them because what you're offering is different than what they're used to. And it's better for them. It's kind of like somebody that – and I'm not knocking anybody, so God, please don't uh, send me a bunch of emails. You know, some people obviously may ha- be required to, to take certain medication for whatever ailments they may be having. But there's individuals that get over-medicated with a lot of different medications, and it gets to the point where they, they become so self-reliant on it that they, they can't find any other solution. And it's the same thing with, with, uh, with the golf industry. I think what happens is they get overstimulated with all of this information coming at them, and they don't know how to turn it off. And they don't know how to, as you pointed out, John, they don't know how to process it. Um, Peter, what I'm going to do is, if you've got a comment or two on that, I, I was going to move to the next question, uh, just yeah, to keep just, things going, but if you've got a comment or... Sure, go ahead. Yeah, I just feel as though that, you know, it comes down to trust. It, for the for the person, they're going to seek out someone they trust before they're going to seek out someone that's a stranger. It's just how it works. That's it's yeah. So if they're coming to you, they they've identified you as someone that they trust and they respect your, your information because they're looking for clarity on how they can move forward. That's why people come to us. It's not like it's not for me, at least. I mean, that's my experience is that people are coming to me because someone else they know has identified me as someone they, they trust. And I mean, I, I give more of a personal I give a lot more mm-hmm. personal attention. I give more value than in a personal sense. Like I, I leverage my supervised practice programs or my supervised practice sessions, uh, two hours on the weekend, one hour on Saturday, one hour on Sunday to give an incredible amount of value to anyone who's ever been in a coaching program with me. Once you're in, you're in, and you're always welcome. So I always make sure that they're, they feel that they're always welcome, that they can come, that they can ask questions, they can clarify, rather than feeling the need to go to the Internet. Or I'm trying to give an alternative and trying to be their trusted resource and keeping them off the computer. Yeah, and I think it's – and that great, really brings up, a, a, I think, a great point. I think – it's important for students to challenge whoever they're working with. And I don't mean challenge them in a negative way to say, well, hey, wait a minute, what do you think of this? Um, but I think that we want them to come to us when, as John, as you pointed out earlier, when they're confused. Um, it's not always the easiest to handle, but we want them and we want to be able to help to unconfuse them, if you will, and, and add some clarity. Um, there is certainly, and I think we could all agree, there is certainly um, – a plethora of, of great information that's available online in, in other mediums, but it's just at such a volume that it, it can be very daunting for a lot of people, even people in the industry. I'm, I'll bit myself, you know, when you get on there and you're looking for something and you, you, you type in a specific topic and, you know, 4.5 million search results come up 
and you're sitting, okay, well, what's what? And, you know, everybody says, well, usually what, what comes up first is usually, you know, the, the high priority. Well, not necessarily. Um, there are companies that pay for position uh, in Google searches. So, you know, it's not always. And for some reason, sometimes the more controversial uh, approach to things sometimes can get top billing as well. So you have to be very careful of what you're looking at. I, I want to um, ask you guys and, and, and John, uh, um, or uh, sorry, Peter, I'm going to go back to you just because um, I gave uh, John a little bit more time on that last question. Um, and, and here's this question here that I've got. If we're all uniquely different, which of course we are, how do you as a coach or teach professional, how do you decide what's right for your student, especially with given the fact that there are so many different uh, swing theories and, and approaches out there. How do we decipher what's right? What, what sort of process do we go through um, with each of our students? Because they are obviously uh, uniquely different. What do we do to define what's right for that particular student? It's player-centered. It's all about them. It's not about me. It's, it's my job to educate myself to the nth degree, so I'm aware of all as many of these theories and information as I possibly can be. I mean, I educate myself incredibly um, on an ongoing basis to make sure that it revolves around the player and I can ask questions as they come up as to the best of my knowledge. But I, you know, going towards context, where does, a, where does this game have any kind of context for the player? Because learning it and, and improving upon it and and performing it as a standalone action is fairly brutal. But if they have something they can relate to, a past experience, a past skill, um, I mean, I related to a, a woman sewing one time because that was something that she it had something to do with some one thing going before another and she related to the the order of stitches um right and it it's all about finding context and then enabling them to have confidence in what they're doing and what the context they've found it, it's that's just what I work towards with people it's it's all about and I make it very upfront and that it's very Sometimes I get some weird looks, but that's what we work towards. That's it. And the what in, what's involved in that is very individual. Like you said in the beginning of the show, there's a, a lot of times there's a hodgepodge of things. And they right. add, over a little bit of time, they get comfortable in the sense of not getting over-focused over on, you know, the quote-unquote doing it right. And, uh, and, you know, I want them to understand why things are happening and so that they can be confident in why certain things are happening. Yeah, and I've uh, – an excellent answer. Um, you know, John, I've, I've said many times on the show, um, you know, there really is no right or wrong um, way of going about this uh, as a player even – um, certainly there there are commonalities, there are certain things, key factors, if you will, uh, in the game of golf that um, you you have to be able to to perform, certain functions that you have to be able to form in order to see some sort of success. Um, but sometimes the, the methods or the ways that you uh, accomplish that uh, can be uniquely different. 
Um, and we've seen that, as I said, I've mentioned many times, if you look at many of the players, particularly uh, not so much in today's game, but if you go back 20, 30 years and you look at players like Trevino and uh, Jim Furyk and, and um, you know, I've mentioned Nick Price, Freddie Couples, you know, they're all uniquely different. Um, there are certain key elements within their golf swing that, that are, are constant, um, but how they go about it and, and the tempo and timing and that are uniquely different. So um, in your estimation or in your judgment, John, you know, you've been doing this for a long time as well. Um, how do we, how do we find what's right for our students? Um, wh- what do we do to, to make sure that what we're doing for them is right for that particular individual and not just lumping them in a, in a box like everybody else does and says, okay, well here, um, this is the swing theory of, of the moment. Let's get everybody you know, going through this motion here. How do we handle that? I'm going to be very blunt. And first I'm going to say I'm right on board with Peter, but I'm going to be very blunt and just say that the golfer's got to take ownership. You, you can't be telling somebody something that is an untruth to why you play mm-hmm. golf or how you play golf. Cause at the end of the day, you're fooling no one but yourself. Peter and I, without getting too detailed, he and I probably could work side by side and and get a lot accomplished with people because we do basically the same thing. We're always asking questions. We're we're asking questions to find out what the true answers are. Why do you play golf? How often? Uh, What's Mm -hmm. important in your life? And trying to prioritize it in such a way where – even though you think you need X, Y, and Z times five, we may be giving you X only times one because in theory that Uh is going to be enough. That's, that's going to be plenty. At the end of the day, we want you to enjoy the game and play it more period. And it's not because we want to make more money. It's because we love the game and want to share the passion for it. And I think any instructor coach, whatever you want to label us, who has any sense of credibility and reputation, that's why we do it. It's not during the register. We're trying to pass on that passion and have you get infected by it. When it comes to, you know, how, how do you differentiate from a coach's standpoint of view? I think the the student, the pupil, the client, the golfer has to take complete and honest ownership of what their true goals and objectives are and come in with zero expect and use some trust factor, as Peter said earlier, with who you decide to choose to help you and give unacquainted trust, unparalleled trust to that person to get you where you want to go in a realistic fashion. I I forget where I read this, but, not only in golf, but in other hobbies, other extracurricular activities, let's call them, there's an 80% failure rate amongst people because they come in with such high expectations that they think they can do something when they can't. Let me tell you, Mm -hmm. whether it's Peter, Ted, or myself, we're assessing you on your athleticism. We're assessing you on your priority system outside of the golf course. We're assessing you on a lot of different variables to try to give you what we believe is best for you at that moment to have you continue to play. Oh, and the bonus is if you've learned and can improve your skills because you have the time necessary to do it, 
that's the bonus, and you have to go into it looking at it that way. Yeah, and, and you know, you touched on something that I think that a lot of people, um, and, and this I think comes with experience, uh, and, and that's not to say that there aren't a lot of great young uh, golf professionals out there that are that are teaching and, and have gotten into the business, but I think certain things, uh, as you, you know, gain that experience and that knowledge, sort of comes second nature. And I think one thing that we we have to be mindful of um, when assessing our students is really the why and what their expectations are uh, coming in here. For instance, I'll give you an example. If there's somebody that that's wanting to play, you know, maybe once a month. Uh, or every, you know, maybe a couple times a year for, for some corporate event or something like that. The last thing you want to do is regiment them into some sort of a coaching program uh, and, and, and get some, you know, a time commitment from them um, when they're only going to be playing a couple times a year, if that's all they want to do. Now, somebody that wants to uh, greatly improve and wants to, you know, play on a regular basis, not necessarily you know, aspiring to be a professional or anything, but, you know, then you, you can get in. So you have to be careful of making sure that you understand why that student's there in the first place and what they want to get out of the experience. Um, you're both exactly right. I think understanding what the stu- student wants and really listening to them, engaging uh, with them and asking them questions to get the answers um, that are going to best give you um, a, a way of understanding that individual a little bit better so that then you can sort of tailor make whatever program or whatever um, facilitates uh, helping them uh, out on the golf course. And, and again, knowing what they want out of their um, experience makes it a great deal. Uh, I've got a, a sort of a hypothetical for both of you. Peter, I'm going to go to you first on this one uh, just to give uh, John a little bit extra breath here. Um, and, and I thought this was kind of an interesting question because I'm sure we've all been faced with it, but um, y- you taught a student years ago, uh, here's the, this hypothetical, uh, and fixed whatever problem, it doesn't matter what it is, um, but their problem comes back, uh, or they come back with the same problem, but the fix no longer works. What do you do? <clears throat> well, I clearly didn't fix them then. <laughs> Well, it, let me let me phrase this. Let me phrase this a little bit differently, d- just to make it. Uh, and, and, and reason why no, I asked. It, no, I, I'll answer. You'll take it as. You, yeah, I mean, there's no. Okay. I don't. I don't nope. feel like there's any fixing people. There's no. There's no right. such thing. There, right. you, you have the ability to influence them for a period of time in which they can relate to what you're giving them. That's it. And. Along the lines that over as humans we have been conditioned to adapt, um, and over time that person's going to adapt. They're going to make it their own, and what might have started out in one place is going to become another. And over, you know, I have that on a regular basis right now, and I it's you have to completely reacquaint yourself with that person because the way they're perceiving themselves and they're perceiving their game and they're perceiving their presence is completely different than it was two years ago. I I don't, I don't take preconceived notions and the fact that we worked together two years ago means doesn't mean anything. I, I appreciate our relationship as people. um, But I don't, I don't take it as I'm not going to be like a doctor and look at your chart. 
um, and say, oh, you had this, so we're going to treat it again because right. it's back. It's not how it works. Right. So, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. That's a good analogy. Go ahead, Peter. Yeah, I mean, I would just, you know, I would not start over, but, I, you know, I'm going to definitely reacquaint myself with their mindset and take it from there. Yeah, and and you're exactly right. You know, there there is no, and and this is I think one of the problems that a lot of uh, golfers have out there is they're they're you know they're expecting some sort of a quick fix, and there really isn't. Um, I, I think really the approach that I wanted from this particular question, the reason why I wanted to throw it in there, is you know obviously there may be a and, and John I'm going to let you respond now. Uh, you know a scenario what that maybe you worked with a student it might have been ten fifteen years ago, um, they might be in their their late fifties, early sixties now, or, or beyond, and their body has changed. Other, other factors that maybe once were are no longer there. So it may not necessarily, the, the, the fix, or if you will, if you want to use that terminology that you once gave them might've worked because of their physical abilities have changed. And that's maybe why it's not working today. So there might be modifications that required, but taking that same scenario, what's uh, what would be your answer to that? Well, you're you're going down the road. I was going to go down. I, as P, as like Peter, I do value the relationship, and I'm going to catch up on it. How's the family? How's work? How's this? How's that? What are those priorities that person told me about a couple years ago? I also agree there's no such thing as a fix. If there was such a thing mm-hmm. as a fix, we wouldn't be in business. So, again, right. that's the only way I'm going to ring my register, even though I'm being semi-hypocritical here from a previous answer. The, there are other variables that uh, are extenuating there. Have you practiced? What, why haven't you practiced or what's gotten in the way? The other variable mm-hmm. that a lot of people forget is we as humans have some hard wiring that's pretty much the same. And that is we'll always go from one extreme to another before we reach a happy medium. And that typically takes a little while going back and forth, narrowing those extremes to get to that middle point. And did you get to that middle point and stay there long enough for it to be ingrained? I want to find that out. Uh, Was it something that we quote unquote fixed two years ago and then they just took it for granted. They didn't need to invest some time to continue the habit. I need to know that. I also need to know what kind of injuries, impairments, what, what, how's the priority system changed before I'm going to go about trying to do anything to go back and quote-unquote fix. And then the other thing everybody's got to realize is because we're human, we fall into trends. We fall into things that take the path of least resistance. That's part of nature. Whether you're human, you're a tree, you're a goat, doesn't matter. You're going to take the path (laughs) of least resistance. And when it comes to golf and how your body responds to that movement, you know, if if something's changed for the worse or the better, we got to understand what that trend may be. Now, a long-term client, we're going to figure that out. A short-term client, we may never get there. And from mm-hmm. a doctor's standpoint of view, uh, I agree with Peter. Simply because it's in your chart doesn't mean I'm going to fix it, but I'm definitely going to go through the same tests. I'm going to go through the same quiz. I'm going to go through the same diagnostic process and patterns to narrow it down. It may not be amoxicillin. Maybe it's something else this time, 
but it's going to attack yeah. if it is the same thing it's going to attack it in a different way uh because maybe you're bored maybe you didn't like the drill and just got tired of it kind of thing going back to a previous statement you made as far as being overstimulated so there's all sorts right. of factors there that I look at and I think a good coach is going to look at and what people have to understand is you're going to fall back into things if you don't invest the time to keep them current uh, whether it be a movement a thought something you do at work you've got to stay current which means you're putting in the reps to maintain it yeah and and uh, Great answers, both of you. Um, you know, I, I think something else too, <clears throat> and, and you're right, John. I, I think that a lot of people, um, and, and probably most of us in, in some fashion, do take the path of least resistance. Um, but on the other side, though, I, I think we all, as human beings, um, enjoy the challenge. I think that's one of the reasons why so many people are attracted to golf. It's not just, I mean, there's some people I've seen that, I mean, you know, couldn't rub two nickels together out in the golf course they just are, are terrible but there's something about the challenge um that they enjoy and they just keep coming at it and keep coming at it and it doesn't matter what you do or how you try to help them um you know they they're not going to let you know their disability if you will for lack of better words out in the golf course um turn them away they're going to keep coming back and, and i think well, that it you know, getting back sorry, to the path of least res- I'm sorry, getting back to the path of least resistance and to the to the initial theme of deceiving, videos are just that. It's convenient. I can sit down yes. in my lounge chair in between commercials of my favorite TV show and watch a four minute video and voila, I'm fixed. And that is path yeah. of least resistance. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work. No, sometimes, you know, sometimes you hit it lucky and you might be all right. You know, I, I think in, in a case like that, I think for an experienced golfer, um, maybe would have an easier time with something like that, being able to, uh, you know, if you were a, a PGA Tour uh, professional or an LPGA or what have you, uh, I think you could probably get away with that a little bit easier because you understand um, the intricacies of, of how to, you know, play the game and you understand a lot of different uh, key components to, to being successful on the golf course. So you can get away with a l- that a little bit, but somebody that's struggling and doesn't understand the, the basic fundamentals of golf and, and, and really just doesn't know how to make good solid contact to, to get caught in that trap. And this is, brings me to my final question for both of you. Um, Peter, I'm going to go to you and then John, I'll let you finish up is how do you measure your students progress and how should they? And that's for you, Peter, I'm going to go. Yeah, I, I measure their progress by, and we both measure our progress by confidence. You know, immediately the score doesn't go up, but, you know, that's that's really the barometer of everybody looking at, you know, especially right now, I'm going, you know, beginning of the season up here, I'm going through all my, you know, initial consultations with my coaching players and, um, you know, I talk, we go on the golf course and I talk to them and it's really interesting to, to hear what their, in, their goals are, their intentions and everything goes back to a score, but over the course of a, you know, a program or even, even just an individual session and I'm looking to, you know, re, reframe their mindset to, to go towards con, you know, confidence 
and the score is going to come. It yeah. Not to have yeah, preconceived notions of of what what success is based on a score because there's an incredible amount of outcomes that are out of your control. Um, and that's what I see. I, you know, my competitive players, yeah, I use proximity to the hole. Um, I, you know, strokes gained, all of that. When it, when the expectations change, then the, the measurables change. But for for most people who are, you know, primarily looking to go out and and enjoy themselves, I want them to feel confident that they can just stand up to the ball and do it and enjoy their time on, you know, in nature. You know, it's interesting. Um, what, what's, what's kind of funny about what you just said is the other night uh, I watched an interview with uh, Sergio Garcia, of course, who just recently won the, the Masters tournament this year. Um, he was being interviewed uh, about the, this uh, upcoming weekend, the, uh, the Players' Championship, and he talked about in his in his answer uh, to uh, I didn't hear the actual question, but in his answer he he said this. He said that you know even if he doesn't win, even if he doesn't shoot his best score, he's played that particular course and he's familiar with the conditions and his confidence level in that tournament um, has has made it so that it's become one of his favorite tournaments just because he understands what to expect from it. And he knows he's not going to win every single time, but his confidence is good going into that tournament because he knows how to, and I think what the question was now, if I, if I remember correctly, uh, there were a few subtle changes to the course. And uh, the question was basically, you know, how are you going to handle this and handle it? And he basically said that, you know, he didn't care about the changes um, his confidence level was as such that it didn't matter. He knew how to adapt and improvise um, whatever situation he may be faced with. And that goes really to what you're talking about, Peter, is that when a player feels confident, even if the score isn't quite there yet, if they're confident in what they're doing and the moves that they're making, uh, in the results that they're getting from their uh, coaching sessions, then the score, as you said, will take care of itself. Um, John, what about you? What, uh, how do you measure your, the students' progress and, and what do you try to get them do to, to sort of keep, a, keep track of it as well? well? Again, Peter and I are on the same page. I couldn't have said it better myself. It is about confidence and the lesson to be learned by both your comments is that confidence has nothing to do with measurable data. It's a, it's a feeling from within that you can adapt. You can go out and enjoy it you feel like you may not have expertise or complete command, but you have competence uh, that you can be out there with other people and enjoy it. And it doesn't, it, it literally, that kind of measurement literally takes zero numbers. You don't have to sit down with a coach and say, Hey, I, I'm expecting X, Y, or Z, or my objective <clears throat> is this. Uh, a lot of people get caught up in those numbers. If they just get a little bit of confidence first, numbers take care of themselves. The confidence breeds a whole lot of other things. Your motivation to continue on the journey, Uh, your discipline to make that journey more insightful. When you're, when you're distracted, you stay on the page, you stay on the, stay on the path. 
uh, that confidence breeds a lot of other things, and it has zero to do with sitting down saying, well, this year's scoring average has to be 78.7. Zero to do with that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have said it better myself, Peter, and that's truly – no matter what the goals are, no matter what the consultations with the players are prior to trying to help them improve their skills, that is the one big thing that I look for is are they breeding confidence in themselves and in the process they're using to to reach their potential? And without it, potential can't be realized. Yeah, well well said. Um well, I can say with, with a great amount of confidence that uh, this was a great Coach's Corner panel uh, discussion tonight. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. You guys uh, had some great answers, some great thoughts and, and input into the show, as, as always. And um, it just uh, you know, it just reaffirms what I felt here for, for many, many years uh, in doing this, is that you know, when you put together individuals who have – their students' interests at heart and not their own self-interest, um, then you're, you're, you've got a, a, a formula for success, in my opinion, and you guys both have, have uh, really epitomized that this evening. So kudos to both of you, and, and thank you, as always, for, for coming on the show tonight. Um, I, I, you know, I enjoy – I get just as much out of this as I know the listeners do, in some cases even more, um, just because I, you know, I like to get other people's perspective. I, you know, obviously I have my theories, which really fall in line with with both of yours and, and many of the other panelists that have come on the show. Um, but, you know, I enjoy. To me, golf is is a continual learning experience, uh, not just to play the game, but to learn other aspects of it and how we can help one another. And that's really the purpose of Coach's Corner is to not only help the students out there but to help our fellow coaches out there to share uh, commonalities, um, to certainly discuss differences if, if there is any, um, but to share the, that information with one another, and that's really what the panel discussions are for. So, uh, uh, John uh, and Peter, thank you very much uh, for coming on. I'm going to give you guys just a moment each. Uh, Peter, I'll let you go first, and then John, uh, let the folks know if they're interested in reaching out to you, uh, how they can do that, and maybe you can help them uh, in, the, in the season coming up. Yeah, thanks, Ted. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, John, you know, please reach out. Let's chat more. I, I'm, you know, I, I dig your style. Um, but people can reach me at uh, gogolfcoach.com, and they can interact with me on social. Um, Instagram, I'm uh, dailygolf.coach, and Twitter, um, uh, dailygolfpro. Um, very active on social media, so... Um, just uh, I'm big on documenting the journey and uh, enjoying the time out in nature. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Not a problem. As as always, Peter, thank you very much uh, for your input as well. And, John, my friend, um, how, how can the good folks uh, that want to reach out to you, how can they do that or follow you? Uh, what, uh, what do they need to do? Peter, uh, first off, thanks. Uh, another engaging conversation. Always a great time to be on with you and Ted. Uh, same to you as far as the invite to reach out whenever you need it and Ted thank you again for the pleasure and honor of being on board uh, everybody can reach me socially all my social uh, engagement outlets are at John Hughes Golf or hashtag John Hughes Golf 
Uh, you can go to my website, johnhughesgolf.com. Uh, that I'm hoping you may see some new things there in, in the coming weeks, an announcement soon to be made. Uh, but you can, if you're ever in Florida in the Orlando area, uh, come by and see me. I'm at Falcons Fire Golf Club in the Kissimmee area, wonderful public facility, and available to help you out anytime you need it. And again, thanks a lot, Ted. All right, guys. Well, listen, thank you very much uh, again, Peter Agazarian and John Hughes for uh, joining me this evening on the Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. And I look forward to you guys joining me again here in uh, in the near future. So have a great weekend. Enjoy the Players' uh, Championship if you guys are going to tune in at all this weekend. And uh, I will see you next time on the Coach's Corner. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, John. All right. Good night, guys. All right, that was my uh, very special guests, uh, again, on the Coach's Corner panel, John Hughes and Peter Agazarian, uh, both great professionals, uh, really enjoy having them on the panel tonight. And, you know, as I, as I said many times, and I was alluding to earlier uh, just a moment ago, you know, really the, the, the whole purpose of, of having this panel discussion with uh, a lot of different uh, coaches and, and teaching professionals uh, from literally all over the United States and, and around the, the world, in fact, some of them have been on, um, it, it is really to share um, not just commonalities, but to share information. Uh, you'd be surprised at how many of the teaching pros and coaches that uh, have been on the show have uh, connected, uh, you know, just as you uh, heard tonight live, uh, you know, Peter and John, uh, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, connecting and having further discussion. They've obviously uh, seen some commonality in, in uh, each other's style and, and uh, are reaching out. And, th- and this is really what it's about. It's about building relationships uh, in in golf, and this is one of the reasons uh, I enjoy this uh, the game so much is not just uh, about helping you guys out there teaching, but just the, the great relationships that have been uh, formed over the years uh, being in this industry. Um, it, it's truly like no other, and, and uh, you know this is one of the reasons why I, I do this program. Um, coming up next, of course, is uh, my very special guest. He's never been on the show before. Sam Adams. He's a life member uh, of the PGA of America. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. Uh, as a life member of the PGA of America, Sam has uh, over 30 years of experience working with golfers of all abilities, uh, levels from tour players to beginners. Uh, he developed a very simple approach to uh, teaching and coaching the golf swing and believes one of the biggest problems uh, in today's game is uh, the focus on how your swing should look versus how well it can work for you. Uh, it should all start with impact position and work back. Uh, keeping it simple and optimizing your swing is more important than changing it to look like someone else's uh, image of the perfect swing. Uh, some of his professional standings, as I said, a life member of the PGA of America. He's also a member uh, of PGA's Quarter Century Club, uh, also uh, PGA President's Council on Growing the Game, uh, National PGA Apprentice uh, Committee, and PGA uh, Committee on Golf Facility Owning, Leasing, Consulting, and Management. Uh, and uh, some great information. Uh, other interesting uh, things which we'll talk about when he comes on. Uh, he's not quite here yet, but uh, um, got some great questions for him. Looking forward to having him join me on the show and uh, should be here momentarily. Uh, but just to remind everybody while we wait for Sam to come on board, uh, we are live every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on Golf Talk Live's uh, blogtalkradio.com network. Just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just type uh, golf talk live up in the search key. And that will take you to the main page. And for whatever reason, uh, if you can't join us during the live broadcast, not to worry. Just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. And up in the search key, uh, you can uh, 
just type in Golf Talk Live, and that will take you, as I said, to the main page. And just scroll down to the On Demand section, and that's where all of the previously aired uh, and recorded shows uh, are held. And uh, so if you can't join us live, not to worry, just visit the On Demand section. Uh, also, if you want to call into the show uh, during the live broadcast at any time, you can do so by calling in uh, area code 646-716-4667. Again, the number is 646-716-4667. And also, um, if you want to follow the show, you can uh, follow me on social media. Uh, you can go to either my personal page, which is Ted. My last name is Odorico, and it's O-D-O-R-I-C-O. Uh, or you can go to Facebook.com. Uh, forward slash golf talk live blog and uh, that gives you all the updates there as well uh, also uh, if you go to twitter my twitter handle is ted and buck ceo and ceo is in in capital letters and uh, you can also uh, get that uh, information in there as well i see that sam is uh, ready to join me so let me bring on my very special guest uh, he's a life uh, member of the pga of america mr sam adams good evening sam welcome to the show Good evening, Ted. It's good to be here. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing fine. Well, I'm doing better now. I had a little stress this afternoon. We've got some houses under construction around here, and <clears throat> um, some guy on yeah, the backhoe, that'll do apparently. It. <laughs> <laughs> so I lost all power, which included your phone number. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Then I realized I had it. On <laughs> well, my I'm glad. Phone, to, so. Yeah, I'm glad that the power uh, came back on, but I'm also yeah, glad that you were able to find on. the number. But yeah, not a problem. Um, Sam, I've already read out uh, some of the information uh, with respect to your your biography and that, but uh, one section I didn't. I wanted to wait till you come on um, uh, on the show just to, to read a little bit more. So let me just read this very quickly, and then we'll get into some questions. Um, you also mentioned earlier in your career, of course, that you had the fortunate pleasure of spending some time with uh, some greats like Mickey Wright, uh, Harvey Pennick, and of course, uh, uh, Ben Hogan. And uh, a number of years ago, you, you said that you realized that you weren't going to become a, a successful tour player, uh, as it were, but uh, decided that uh, you would rather focus on, on the teaching, which uh, obviously has, has paid dividends as well. Um, but through your own admission, it's been a long journey, and, and uh, you felt that you've had some good fortune along the way. Um, and I want to talk about uh, those individuals in just a moment here, but I want to ask you, I guess the first uh, obvious question would be, is how were you as a player compared to a teacher? <laughs> well, I, <clears throat> number one, I, I dedicate myself to whatever I'm doing. And at, at the point in time in my career where I was dedicated to being a player, <clears throat> uh, unfortunately, I wasn't a good enough putter. But I realized I realized early on when I choked on the driving range at the Atlanta Classic mm-hmm. that I probably wasn't cut out to do this. I was out there hitting balls and hitting it really well. And all of a sudden the bleachers started to fill up and I'm trying to figure out why all these people coming out here to watch me hit balls. <clears throat> and unfortunately I turned around and Jack Nicholas had just come up behind me. <laughs> so so now I'm standing here next to him with this crowd and I just looked at my caddy and I said, Nah, we're done. I just had visions of a ten cup type scenario where all of a sudden I started shanking it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of players. I know. Yeah, I know when Tiger Woods first came on the scene, and and uh, you know, in, in the early, uh, well, in the late '90s, but especially around 2000 when he started winning a lot of tournaments and 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 really started to, um, you know, I guess create some momentum in his game. Uh, there were a lot of folks that were intimidated. I remember some of the players at that time talking about when he would come out on the range. I mean, the crowds, of course, in anticipation, wanted to get in close. So they were, you know, in some places they were good and tight. And, uh, you know, some of the players that, you know, obviously they're all good out there, but, um, you know, they were in awe. And a lot of them would stop practicing just to watch Tiger Woods uh, hit the oh, golf yeah. ball. So, you know, um, well, that so was, it can be very that daunting. Was one for, thing that, that's one thing that Tiger and, and Nicholas both had in common was that intimidation factor. I mean, it's, it's right. like they had that mindset that I'm going to win, you know I'm going to win, and I know that you know I'm going to win. And yeah, and, and you're with. exactly right. Yeah, and I think Tiger, uh, I think it was a little bit different. Jack, I think... Uh, certainly had had in, intimidation but i think it was different than even than tigers i think tigers um you know jack certainly you know you didn't see a lot of smiling out in the golf course he was very serious um but there was a certain gentleness about him tiger had you know if he didn't like something and and kind of gave you the evil eye if you will for lack of better words you know whether it be a camera clicking in the background um, you, you know, you just had uh, that sort of a, a sense of fear almost <laughs> as to, you know, what, what he was going to do where Jack, you know, Jack was just a different bird, if you will, at that point. Oh, yeah. I want to, I want to go into, yeah, I, I want to go into what we were t- uh, starting to talk about here just a second ago. And, and, um, and, and you mentioned, uh, you know, in your bio that you had the, the good fortune to, to work and, and uh, meet a, a number of different well, people. So I want you to, to just go through each of them. Uh, you know, Mickey Harvey and, and Ben, and just talk about in your mind um, a little bit about the experience, how you met them and, and uh, what your experience was with them. Well, once I, once I came to grips with the fact that I wasn't going to be able to make a living as a tour player, mm-hmm. then I decided, you know, I wanted to teach. And if I was going to do that, then I was going to find out, I was going to learn to do it as well as I possibly could. And, in order to do that, I figured that I needed to be around and get the counsel of good teachers and that sort of thing. Now, in, in this particular case, I was fortunate enough, I was working at a club where, <clears throat> this goes back to the old days on the LPGA, but one of the players was Betsy Rawls, and she was from that mm-hmm. town. And when she would come home, she would bring Mickey with her. And Mickey would let me go out. <clears throat> so this wasn't a case of me, me giving any advice. It was just she was nice enough to let me watch her hit balls and ask questions. <laughs> right. So it just, <clears throat> you know, I got to spend a lot of hours on the range with her. And... Then, because of her, um, she introduced me to Harvey Pinnock. Wow. So I got to spend time with him, and just being able to be on the lesson tee watching him teach. Because <clears throat> one of the problems with, with teaching today is we get so mm-hmm. wrapped up in what? 
technology, all of this type stuff, and, and everybody argues about what to teach. This is a better way than this is, so on and so forth. But when you get into great teachers like Harvey, it's a matter of how. How yes. he taught was far more important than what he taught. Mm-hmm. And he just he yeah, it, it so simple. <clears throat> he made people yeah, it, feel good. Yeah, it was interesting, you know, because I remember um, both Ben Crenshaw and uh, Tom Kite, who, of course, were students of Harvey Penix, <laughs> you know, talked about some of the, the things that, that Harvey would talk to them about. And, and it, by today's standards, you'd be scratching your head thinking, well, how is that helping, you know, either of their golf games? But the information that he was relaying to them was, was really invaluable um, because he was really trying to bring the best of each of them out. Um, they were uniquely different. Um, obviously, Ben was, was very well known for his his uh, his prowess on the on the putting green, um, but also um, Tom Kite, of course, was, was uh, really one of the first tour players that I remember, at least growing up, that started throwing a few extra wedges in the in the golf bag. He sort of started that trend, in, in my opinion. Now, maybe there were others before, but in my generation, anyways, he was the first one that I remember that would carry, you know, three or four wedges in his bag. Um, well, and, you it, know, the next it's, thing, you it's know, interesting that you talk about those two because <clears throat> that was the topic of conversation. He was talking about the difference in the two of them. And yes, practicing. He said, no, Kite was like Hogan. He could go to the range and hit five irons, one identical five iron after the other for an extended period of time. He said, if Crenshaw went to the range, no matter how good he was hitting it when he went, if he stayed there long enough, he would screw it up. That he yep. had to play to stay in shape. And <clears throat> I just find that I found that interesting because I think that's true for a lot of people. Some people can just, and we tend to tell everybody, you got to practice, you got to hit balls, you got to hit balls, you got to hit balls. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. Some people get far more out of playing nine holes than they do spending two hours on the range. Once you get the ball, once you've got the ability to get the ball airborne, then you need to start learning how to play golf. Because right. when you're on the golf course, the shot, the lie dictates the shot. When you're on the driving range, the lie is the same all the time. So you're not really learning anything. And yeah, and, and that's a great, great there's point. There's no such thing as muscle memory. No, I, I, I understand what you mean. And, and you know, it's interesting because um, you you included two uh, of your favorite quotes, and I want to read those, and I want to get your response on, on each of them. The first one, of course, being never tell them more, which goes along really what you're talking about right here, is never tell them more than they absolutely need to know. And and the second one is anyone that can't explain the golf swing in a simple, easy-to-understand fashion simply doesn't understand it well enough, um, which which I agree 100% with both of them. Let's tackle the first one. Um, you're right. with With the technology that's out there now, and the information, and, and I'm like you, I see on, on social media, I know exactly what you're talking about, you know, we get in these groups, and, and uh, you know, I don't, you, you never see, I mean, I post my, my shows, I, you know, occasionally post something different, I don't get into the conversation for the very reason, that's just my personal preference, it's just because 
not all the time, but in some cases, the, the conversations go in a direction that I think are harmful for the profession as opposed to helpful. And it's because you get individuals in there that just don't want to uh, consider that there might be another uh, option or another uh, theory or whatever the case may be and, and get to the point where they're belligerent. And that's just not, in my opinion, not something that I engage in. But, um, but talk about that. You're right, well, Sam. It's, it's funny when you bring up the social media part of it. Um, there's a, there's a, a Facebook group out there, which is I think the largest private Facebook group, golf, which is called Old School Golf. Right. And it's got a little over 6,000 members, most of whom are golf professionals. And I'm one of the original moderators of that group. And it's, yes. I mean, we've got Hall of Fame players, we've got tour players, we've got Hall of Fame teachers, and the discussions in there, of course, now, my job as one of the moderators is to make sure that everybody's nice to each other. Right. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be <laughs> rude, but <clears throat> it's amazing the difference of opinion. And and yes. they don't they don't quite understand that. Several years ago, I realized that. Well, well, I'll go back. I'll go back farther than that. At one point in time, I was heavily involved with the PGA of America. I was on national committees, all that type of stuff. And I had I was attending a seminar, and they had a it was a teaching seminar, and they had an instructor up there, and he's doing his usual thing. And when it was over, I went to the director of education. And I said, you know, what I really need is somebody to help me get the information across to the student better. I don't need to learn any more what. I need to learn how. And so kind of, I guess, three or four years ago, I really got into that, studying how people learn. And it's not exclusive right. to golf. It's people learn. And unfortunately, I figured out that the way we teach and the way people learn are not really compatible. I mean, no. the way most golf lessons work out is that somebody comes to you for a lesson and you go down and the average instructor, he'll tell the people what his credentials are and what a good player he was and blah, 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 and whatever his certifications are. And mm -hmm. it's all, 90% of it is him telling them what to do instead right. of giving them the opportunity. <clears throat> we were talking about this the other day on online golf instruction. If you ask somebody the right questions up front, most of your job is already done before you see them hit the first golf ball. Mm -hmm. I mean, once you understand where they're coming from and why, what they're thinking, that's the most important part is, is to understand most people that I've, the vast majority of the students I've dealt with <clears throat> have, in all honesty, They've been trying to do the wrong things 
with a high degree of success. Part of it is because with the advent of high-speed photography, golf instruction started focusing on positions. Like if we can break this down small enough and figure out all these positions, and now we've brought biomechanics into it and all of that. And the golf swing, it's a swing. It has a start and a finish. And there really isn't anything in between. Right. And it's a natural movement. Um, It is. But the, the problem is that you've got everybody in the industry pounding people with golf is hard, golf is hard, golf is difficult. And it's not. If you want to be a tour player, if you're an elite player and you want to excel, then it's difficult. But if you just want to go out there and play golf and have fun, it's not difficult at all. But when you tell, when I tell people, I posted a video the other day. It was a simple drill. I call it the screwdriver drill. And the the whole point of it was, okay, here's how you control ball flight. Can you use a screwdriver? All right. You turn it to the right to tighten the screw. You turn it to the left to loosen the screw. You can do that. Then you can fade the ball and draw the ball because that's all right. it is. And yeah, you're worrying you're, you know, about everything else. Yeah, Sam, you're, you're exactly right. You know, um, this really goes to a question that I believe is one of the big problems in golf instruction today is, is giving them more information uh, as you put in your, in your points than what they really need to know. And, and I'm not knocking and we, you know, we had this discussion with the two gentlemen that were on before you. Um, I have a a coach's corner. If you've listened to the show, you know, I have a coach's corner panel discussion uh, with a a variety of different, uh, you know, PGA professionals and and other golf professionals. And one of the topics that we talked about. um, Yeah. Uh, Pete, yeah, Pete's been on before and, and he was on last week and, and uh, John Hughes has been on, but um, tonight and, and uh, Peter Agazarian was on tonight. But one of the, one of the questions that I had for them right out of the gate was with so much free access to online golf instruction, videos, and et cetera, how do we compete with that as, as golf instructors? And I'm not talking about, um, you know, you as a golf instructor, if you want to post some of your, your tips or things like that, that's not what I'm talking about. There's a lot of information that are coming from people who get into blogging, uh, you know, into social media that just want to <laughs> give their viewpoints, and it's overwhelming. It's confusing a lot of people. Or uh, you get a lot of young professionals that are just new that they want to get on the techni- uh, you know, technological uh, train, if you will, and they want to just start posting a lot of online or a, a new uh, you know, product or something to that effect. And a lot of students are, are scratching their head because it's not addressing um, the how, if you will. It's, it's this is what you need to do or this is what you should be doing uh, and you'll be a better golfer. Well, that's not true as we know it, right? Correct. I mean, it's, if a student is struggling, and, and I'll put it this way, golf 
and I think that part of this has something to do with the male ego that, you know, guys say, well, I can do this myself. You know, I can go online and I can look at videos and I can do all this stuff and I can do it myself. And it's possible, but it's extraordinarily difficult and it's going to take an awful long time. You need some kind of guidance. And the teacher has to understand that if a student is struggling, mean he needs more information. It means that he there's a communications problem between what you're telling him and what he's hearing. Right. And so instead of giving him more information, you need to connect. Okay. I mean, it's like when I get through with a golf lesson, the first thing I want to know from the student is, okay, what did you get out of that? What did you hear me say? What do you think you need to work on? And I find that sometimes what I thought I said to him and what he heard weren't the same thing. So I've learned to do it a little differently. I've learned to more let him figure it out. Let me ask the right questions. Yeah. You know, why do you think that happened? And it's amazing if that sticks if you can help them figure it out for themselves, they've learned it, and that sticks with them. You're you're exactly right, Sam. Excuse me. You're exactly right. Um, you know, in the sense that you'd be surprised at how many students don't understand what they're being taught, and the the, the downside to that is is the frustration level goes up. And again, going to this, you know, uh, ego, you know, ego problem that a lot of, especially men, I'll, I'll give the ladies a pass because I think they're a little bit more uh, uh, intuitive. No, teaching but women is totally different what, than teaching men. Right. But I think the men are afraid to admit they didn't understand something because then it makes them feel like they're, you know, either stupid or incompetent or they don't, you know, they're just not, you know, in tune with you. So a lot of times they'll pretend that they understand what you're telling them and then more often not will go away and, and do something entirely different, get even more frustrated and either not come back or come back worse off than they were before. So um, yep. you're, you, you're, you hit it on the head. I think you, I'll give you a good example. and I'll use myself as an example. When I was younger and learning this game, my, my father was the one that taught me uh, and, and of course, I teach golf now. But you know, one of the things that that he used to do for me, because he understood this at, at a very early age, that I was a visual person. Now, obviously, he didn't, you know, he didn't pull out the eight millimeter camera and start, you know, rolling out film. But he would demonstrate what he was trying to explain to me, so that I could visually see it in my own mind, and then I could, you know, um, you know, handle whatever situation he was giving me. And some people can do that. Some people are, are visual learners. Uh, others, you know, you can just explain to them um, in, in some fashion verbally, and they'll get and understand what you're talking about. But this where it goes to, Sam, and what you talked about at the beginning is asking the right questions, finding out first off why they're there, what it is they're looking to, to 
do. You know, maybe they're they're not looking to be the next Tiger Woods or Jack well, Nicklaus. You know, I mean, maybe they just, is, I, right? I've been in a country club situation. I've been a golf professional. You know, I, I never had the opportunity to focus just on teaching. I had to run tournaments right. and all this kind of stuff. But so many of the people that I worked with is, <clears throat> you know, the guy's got a member guest coming up in two weeks, and he needs help. Now, that's totally different. He doesn't right. want to become an elite player. He just wants to play better and his buddy's member guest in two weeks. So right. you're going to teach him differently than you're going to teach a guy who wants to go on a long-term program to become a single-digit handicapper. And you have to understand yes. that. Not everybody wants to be an elite player. Well, and the, and the other thing, Sam, too, is, you know, that individual that's maybe playing in a, in a club championship or something in a couple of weeks um, may, on a long-term goal, may want to become a better player. But right now, he wants something um, that's going to help him be a better player. And, and one of the mistakes I think happens is, and this goes to the ego, I think, sometimes of the coach or the teaching professional, is they get too uh, wrapped up in trying to break everything down that they end up making it worse for the player so that by the time two weeks rolls around, he's worse off than he was before he came. Because you're thinking long-term, he's thinking short-term right now, and we're not in sync with one another. And I think that's something that the profession has to be careful of as well. And I think that we've tried to uh, – and I'm not sure I say all of us, but I think as an industry, we've tried to lump everybody into one box um, with <laughs> you know swing theories and things like this. And it's wrong. I mean – you're welcome to your theory. I'm welcome to my theory. They may be the same. They may have similarities, but it doesn't necessarily mean yours or mine are, are more right or wrong. It just means that that's our way of interpreting what we know to be true. And we have to make sure that when we're working with our students, that we're able to articulate that information as best we can. And sometimes we're going to be successful. Sometimes we're not. Um, but you're exactly right in your analogy. Um, I want to go back, if we can, Sam, for just a yeah. moment, um, just to, to some of the uh, the folks that you were talking about. What about Ben Hogan? You you had uh, an experience with well, Ben Hogan. Tell us a little bit about that. That was that was a scenario where I just got to spend a matter of a few hours with him and got to have dinner with him. But wow, you know when you when you're sitting there with Ben Hogan. I'm trying to figure out what am I going to say to him? <laughs> Talk about being intimidated. How, how's your golf game? <laughs> how's your <Right>. golf game? <laughs> you know, and it, the funny thing was, <clears throat> of course, now I'd had a scotch and he had had a couple of wines. <laughs> but anyway, I looked at him and I said, well, Mr. Hogan, I said, you know, you're without a doubt the best ball striker that ever lived. And he looked at me and smiled and he shook his head. He said, no. He said, Sam Snead hit more solid golf shots than anybody I ever saw. And I kind of looked at him wow. and I said, well, what do you credit your success to? And he kind of chuckled. He said, I just missed it better than everybody else. 
<laughs> and that's true too. <laughs> that's a hell of an insight right there. <clears throat> that you're exactly right. Even he, uh, even he missed the shot. It just he had it to the point where you couldn't tell it. He was the only one that knew it. Right. And 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 that's the key, really, is how do you handle your misses? Um, you know, when everything's, you know, when, when these tour players go out there, male or female, doesn't matter what what tour they're on, and everything is is gelling just right, um, you know, that's that's fantastic. But as we as we all know that have been in this industry for any length of time, <laughs> that's not an accurate statement. They're they're always going to have some some bad shots. I remember years ago, it was kind of funny. Uh, I remember years ago, uh, back up in Canada at the Canadian Open when it was at Glen Abbey, and uh, the very first time, I was about 16, I guess, the very first ter- uh, professional tournament I'd ever gone to was the Canadian Open, and Jack Nicholas, of course, was still playing. And he was in the same bunker that Tiger Woods was in at Glen Abbey that hit that, that famous six iron and, and landed on the, the, uh, the green, except Jack was hitting it with a four iron. And it was interesting because... You know, Jack all day long, you know, was in the fairway, was in good position, and finally he gets this really bad tee shot, lands him into the to this fairway bunker, and now he's got to go over water and go on a very narrow uh, uh, putting green at 18 and do it with a long iron to boot. And he ended up, you know, landing it perfectly on the green and, and ended up, uh, I believe, walking away with, uh, with par. But... Um, but he missed his tee shot, but you would never know it by the way he handled himself on the golf course. And that really just goes to epitomize players like Ben Hogan and Nicholas and, and many others out there is it's not how they handle their good shots. It's how they handle their bad shots or their misses, as you put it. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, one of the, <clears throat> the only reason, the only reason a tour player a successful tour player, the only reason that they miss a shot is something screws up, emotions get involved, something mental happens and causes them to not function like they normally do, and they hit a miss. There's nothing you can do about that. It's over and done with. Your goal is to go on to... The good ones have the ability to just say, okay, mm-hmm. what am I going to do with this shot right here? Right. You know, you don't beat your one – the, one of the problems that the average golfer has <clears throat> is their expectations get in the way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like one of the things I've always thought hilarious. <clears throat> and it was always hard for me – I know people struggle with a driver, for instance. And right. I, I just, I never did. I mean, it was one of those things I just, my mindset was the ball's teed up, the lie's flat. It doesn't get any better than this. You know, if you can't hit <laughs> right. that one, you got a problem. <laughs> but anyway, so many golfers, when they look at their driver, it doesn't have a one on the bottom of it. It's got an infinity sign on it. It's like if I can swing this sucker right. hard enough, <laughs> I can hit it forever. And, you know, that's, that's right. a recipe for disaster. 
when I ask students, you know, we talk about tour players and, and people watch tour players mm-hmm. on TV. Well, number one, the people you're watching on TV on Saturday and Sunday are playing good. <laughs> That's not the way they play all year. Right. But well, this sure. weekend, they're playing is at near the top of their game. <clears throat> so you, you ask the average golfer, mm-hmm. how many fairways do you think tour players hit? You know, what percentage of the fairways? Oh, 75, 85, 90% of the fairways. Not the average tour player hits just a little over 50% of the fairways. <clears throat> right, right, but exactly. The average golfer is getting upset with himself for missing the fairway when the best in the world are only hitting a little over half the fairways. You know, they need to cut themselves a little slack there. Same thing with with approach shots to the pin. You know, how think do you, how close do you think a guy hits a tour player hits it with a seven iron? Oh, you know, ten, twelve feet. Try thirty. And that can be thirty right, right. or thirty left. <laughs> you know, he's hitting it in a sixty foot circle. And you're out there aiming at the flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me a, well, that's why exactly. I've always said that. Well, and that's and that. Go ahead, Sam. I, I just I've always said that. You know, when I would play in a pro am or a pro member or whatever, if I could get an amateur that had a shot a hole and was physically capable of reaching the green in regulation, I had a pretty good chance of winning that thing. Because all I would do is just coach him around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just get inside his head. <laughs> You're exactly right. I mean, I, I remember a good example of that. I was playing golf. I don't know if you remember Tim Simpson. He was, before he got Lyme disease, he was one of the top yes, players do. on the tour. Tim was from Atlanta, and I lived in Atlanta. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, we ended up playing a lot of golf together. And we're standing on the fourth tee of this golf course, which it was heavily wooded to the left. And it was it was a short par four, but there was a creek down the right-hand side, very narrow. <clears throat> and we're both standing there with long irons. Kim looked at me and said, you know, he said, as good as we are, we're hitting irons off the tee. What makes the average golfer think he can hit a driver on this hole? <laughs> I said, that is the $64,000 question. <laughs> right. He's supposed to. I mean, I was, I was playing right. with one of the members one day. He was a professor. And the first hole was par five, and he hit it in the rough, and I went over there and found his ball. It was sitting down in a little depression, like it might have been a divot that had grown in or something. I looked at it, and I figured, "Eh, seven iron probably would be a shot for me. And I turn around, and I walk off, and I look back, and he's over there with a three wood. And I said, doctor. (laughs) 
what are you doing with the three wood? He said, well, I'm 265 yards from the green. I said, you hit that three wood, you're going to be 245 yards from the green on hitting three. <laughs> but it's just, you know, that has a lot to do with it. But, you know, um, the golfers not- need to, they need to cut themselves some slack. Yeah, you're exactly right. I missed a little bit of that. We kind of cut out there. I missed the last little bit of it. Um but um, and I apologize. I don't know if it was on your end or on my end or not. But um, it it kind of went to went dead there for a second. But I think we're back now. Hmm. Let let me ask you, um, just as we got we got a little bit of time here left. Um, you have a new app that just came out yes. uh, for online uh, golf instruction. And some of your fellow pros, uh, Pete Buchanan, who's become a good friend of mine, and another uh, gentleman by uh, uh, name of James Kyle. Uh, what are some of the features uh, and uh, that, that one well, can expect it, uh, for those that maybe are not familiar with it? You know, it's, uh, of course, we're just, we're just guest instructors on this, but the, the app was, okay. <clears throat> it's basically designed, one of the biggest problems in golf today is how do you find, I've always said that, you know, it's a shame we don't have like an Angie's list of golf professionals. Right. <laughs> so basically, the people, the 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 people that developed this app, invited a group of us to be instructors on this app, and it's <clears throat> it was just introduced. You can download it, uh, you know, for braiding systems on Apple or Google Plus or Google Play, and it's free. And it's called Pro Swing Tips. Pro Swing. If you if you go to the App Store, just type in Pro Swing is one word, and then tips, mm-hmm. and it comes up. Okay. And then you get to you get to see all of us have a profile in there, and we all have. Once you take a lesson from somebody, you you rate them. So you will, as this catches on, you will see how many stars a person has, that sort of thing. But all of us have, we have little video tips in there. We have bios. We have, you know, you can research all of us. There's about eight or ten. And we all have experience with online golf instruction. And online golf instruction is different than face-to-face. That was, it was right. hard for me to get used to at first. But if you practice it for a little while, it's you start to get the hang of it. And so it's just mm-hmm. a place where somebody, anybody around the world can go, and you can get competent golf instruction, and it's reasonably <coughs> priced. I mean, I think uh, there's there's like three packages. You can get one lesson for like thirty bucks, I believe, or you can get uh, then it goes up. There's a three lesson package, and then the one that I like the best with the with the with the one lesson package, you get to send two videos, and we ask oh, you for a wow. For a front frontal video and then a down the line, 
and then we analyze the right. videos and get back to you and but anyway if you if you do the unlimited which is a hundred and something dollars a month if you do the unlimited then you can you can send unlimited number of videos and we're available to chat and discuss that so you kind of get unlimited access for a month so which really the way people learn that works good most people need about 10 minutes and then go absorb that and come back in a few days for another 10 minutes and it works really well for that but yeah and it's you're right and i, I know uh pete yeah pete buchanan's been a guest uh, a number of times on the show and I know that he's part of this. He mentioned this to me uh, a while back. And I know that he's a big proponent of online uh, golf instruction. Right. And, you know, one of the things that he likes about it is, you know, a lot of executives, for instance, that uh, maybe travel a lot, um, you know, can't always make it back to, the, to their home course, if you will, uh, well, for, for I mean, face-to-face, if you will. So this has been a good tool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and especially in this day and age, you know, no matter we, where you it, go. Right, exactly. And, you know, there's many advantages um, to that. Uh, I think the one thing that we talked about earlier in the Coach's Corner, uh, our panel discussion earlier, is, is, you know, there's a lot of great instruction out there, but we also have to be careful because there's also a lot of other online. We, you and I talked briefly about that. There's a lot of other online information being sold out there that, you know, again, by bloggers or what have you, that maybe not, uh, you know, so you have to be really careful about that. And I like the fact that you've got your bios there and they have the opportunity to chat, you know, uh, one-on-one with the individual instructors. So that gives them a little bit of uh, additional comfort as well. Well, that's, you know, one of the things that, one of the things that fascinates me because I spend, and for whatever reasons, I end up spending a lot of time on Facebook in different golf groups and stuff like that. And this is one of the things that Pete and James and I talk about, is we get fascinated by what we call the Facebook pros. And some of them are golf professionals. But somebody will, they will post a video and they'll say, comments please, or what do you think? They haven't said anything about what you're trying to accomplish, what your ball flight is, nothing. They just post a video and say, what do you think? And it's amazing the number of people that will jump in there and just start ripping the swing apart. And in all honesty, we've gotten to where where we'll take – we had – I won't mention any names, but we had this one guy who was – had an unusual-looking golf swing. And why I say unusual-looking, I think it might have made Fury look classic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, he was a single-digit handicapper. But if you just looked at his golf swing without really concentrating on impact, <laughs> and we posted that out there... <laughs> and let each other know, don't comment on this. 
I mean, everybody was just all over it, dissecting it. And basically, the guy was rock solid at impact. He just got there in a really strange way. We have fun with it occasionally. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and, and it, it just goes to, to a larger issue. Uh, you know, I, I'm all for, um, you know, social media. I'm all for that. And you know, you know what I do. You know that, you know, I, I, I post my, my program uh, twice a week. That's it. I don't post anything else. Uh, even on my personal page, you know, I don't get into all of the, the dialogue, um, you know, when, when uh, some of the, some of the comments that you see, it's just, to me, it's become counterproductive. And it also concerns me if I was somebody within the PGA in, 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 in its governing body, and I was seeing some of what's going on on social media with some of the members, um, it's not a healthy dialogue sometimes. Um, sometimes there's some great, you know, I mean, that's, well, that's putting it politely. But, you know, and, and, one and, of the things, and you're right. I mean, one, one of the things that when I joined, and this tells you how old I am, when I joined the PGA of America, we only had about 7,000 members. And, and that was, I mean, if you were going to teach golf, you basically, to have any credibility at all, you had to be a member of the PGA of America. And there was a lot of emphasis placed on teaching. Today, yes. there's like 28,000 members of the PGA of America, and teaching is not a major deal. I mean, it's they're concentrating on general managers. They're concentrating on this, 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 and this. And, I mean, it is what it is. But when you take the PGA and then you've got people like, and I'm not necessarily knocking them, but the World Teaching, World Golf Teachers Federation or whatever it's called, you know, they've got right. more members than the PGA does. So, I mean, basically... A friend of mine who has access to more data than anybody in the golf industry, he basically said the other day that there are 50,000 people that filed a tax return last year with the occupation golf instructor. Right. <laughs> Not all of them are good. <laughs> no. Well, I think that, you know, I'm sure a lot of them get into it probably very similar how you did is, you know, some of them got in with the aspirations of maybe being a player. Um, maybe they're a pretty good golfer in their own right. Um, but got out there, whether on a mini tour or something and just, you know, struggled and decided, Hey, I'm going to teach. Um, but there's a certain, everybody has a certain skill set, whatever it may be. And not everybody maybe is a good teacher. Not everybody's going to be a good player. Um, well, and you, you might know, love golf and you, Right. One of the one of the hardest things right. for me, one of the biggest adjustments for me to make <clears throat> when I started focusing on teaching was it, it came as a shock to me that I mean I had the attitude that that most players have 
<laughs> well, I can play, therefore I can teach. <laughs> right. Uh uh-uh, uh, baby. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> when you start playing at a very early age, and, and the, there's research to back this up, but when you start playing at a very early age, you learn one way. Children learn, young people learn differently. I mean, the, the, the way people learn yes. shifts when they're in their late teens. So how you learn to play golf, when you're talking to a guy who's 30, 40, 50, and just took golf up a few years ago, talking to him, he doesn't understand how you learn to play golf. you got to learn right. to, to – this, this is – he can't do what you do. <laughs> You got to understand what he right. can do. Yeah, and, and, and it goes shot. down to really, yeah, it it goes down to really communication between the student and that, and and that's why you know we talked about earlier in the panel discussion tonight uh, before you came on um, about treating everybody uniquely. I mean, one of the the big mistakes that the industry has done over the years is tried to come up with you know, a variety of different theories and then lump everybody into that theory. Okay. Everybody's going to swing the same this week and the next week it's going to be something different. And the problem with that is everybody's different. Everybody's swing. I mean, you know, we, we've talked about this before, oh, yeah. you know, you've got your Jim Furyk's, you've got your Lee Trevino's, you've got your Jack Nicholas's, uh, Tiger Woods, everybody swings differently. There are certain key elements within the golf swing that need to remain constant, such as impact position. But other than that, if, if, you know, Freddie Couples wants to loop his backswing a little bit or Jim Furyk uh, or somebody wants to come a little bit more from the inside, that's really irrelevant. It's what happens when you get to impact that's important. That's right. And this is, this is one of those things that Pete and I hammer on is that it, it all starts at impact and works backwards. It's, it's like people, right. people are all the time saying, oh, well, you know, I slice the ball because I come over the top. No, you don't. Coming <laughs> over the top is a result. Right. You slice the ball because the club face is open to the path at impact. Right. <laughs> you're you're coming over the well, top trying to get it around to the left. Right, exactly. And, you know, this is, I think, as, as golf instruction has invo- evolved, you know, we're starting to understand – uh, things a little bit better. But, uh, you know, going back to what I was talking about a second ago, you know, one of the dangers with social media, unfortunately, uh, it has its pluses, but it also has its minuses, is that there are an awful lot that rely heavily on what they're seeing online um, and not learning to, to take it away. It's like you said earlier, you know, if you teach somebody something, you need to follow up and make sure that they understood exactly what it was that you're trying to show them uh, or explain to them um, so that when they go away, there's, there's an understanding or a meeting of the mind, if you will, because if they're going away with a, a, a different impression than what you've given them, you've really failed at that lesson um, because they're not understanding what it is that you're talking about. And I think that unfortunately what the online uh, the dangers of it, if you're not careful or if you don't know what you're doing, is you can give misinformation and the person on the other end 
doesn't realize it because they don't know any better. So we have to be careful and diligent yeah. in that. And I think this is right. And, and, I, and I know, listen, I trust Pete and, and yourself. I know you guys have been around for a long time. And, and uh, so I know you guys know what you're doing. But this is one of the dangers uh, with social media is that too many guys get in there and they want to give their two cents. And the more controversial, uh, I mean, I've had people about coming on the show, for an example. I've had people email me and say, hey, Ted, anytime you want to get somebody on here, uh, and really stir the pot up and create some controversy. I'm your guy, and it's like, well, thank you very much for for uh, you know uh, that wonderful opportunity. But that's not what I'm looking for because you know I, I don't want to. I, I certainly am not uh, uh, afraid to to have some some discussion on here that may differ from me, or 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 I may say something that may differ from you. But I don't want to get into a heated debate. Um, to the point where you know what we see on social media sometimes, well, you know, because it's, it's to me, pointless. right? It, it, it's yeah. just you're dancing around the mulberry bush, as they used to say. What I want to do is I want to bring um, certainly some different ideas and and let the listeners take away what they choose to. But I also want to make them informed uh, and and make a, an informed decision. And that's why you know I'm very selective of. of the content that I have on here. I want them to experience different experiences, but at the same time, I don't want to push an agenda by saying, you've got to think this way or else, because then, then that's counterproductive. Um, and that's what we've seen too many times. Yeah, exactly. We've seen too many times. Um, Sam, I want to give you an opportunity, as I do with all of my guests. Uh, this has been an interesting uh, discussion, and I appreciate it. And unfortunately, we're getting near the end of our time, but I want to give you an opportunity to, if the folks want to reach out to, and maybe, uh, you know, if you're uh, up and uh, working up in a specific area, if you want to let the folks know how they can reach out and, and maybe tap into some of the, uh, uh, the instruction, uh, how can they go about getting in, t- in touch with you? Well, basically I'm in a, I'm in a rather unique situation right now. And the only, the only way I can teach right now is online. And I do a lot of that. I mean, I help people. I've helped. I've helped people with just simply uh, having private messages on Facebook. I mean, I had a guy today. He said, "My God, are you psychic?" And he said, "No, that's right. You've been teaching for forty years." <laughs> but you know, if you want to, if you want to contact me and ask questions or send me a video or anything. Number one, you can find me, Sam W. Adams, on Facebook. i got about 3,000 and something friends on Facebook, most in the golf business. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I've also got, a, I don't know, a couple of thousand Twitter followers. And, and I, all I do is post stuff about golf. But I, I have helped people online all over the world. Now, sometimes languages get a little tricky and time zones get a little tricky. But mm-hmm. if the key to the whole thing, you touched on it a while ago, is communications. We don't... Yes. The one thing that all great teachers have in common is their ability to communicate. And I agree nobody, exactly. Nobody is teaching... I mean, if I could give a young instructor one bit of advice right now, it would be before you spend a fortune on technology and certifications, 
take some courses on communications. Learn how to be a better communicator because I don't care what your certifications are. If you can't communicate mm -hmm. that to the student, it's a waste. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, would, would probably another great way, obviously, would be uh, to download the, the app uh, Pro Swing Tips oh, yeah. uh, either at the Google Store. Uh, Google Play or uh, at iTunes um, uh, as well. You could uh, or the Apple Store, excuse me. Uh, you could download it yep. e either at the Apple Store or uh, Google Play. Well, Sam, I want to take this opportunity to thank you. It's been fun. I'm glad that you took me up on, well, on my offer I've to, to come on the show. And well, I appreciate that, and I hope that you'll you'll extend an invite out to some of your fellow pros and, and tell them they're welcome here as well. And uh, they can reach out to me uh, through my various uh, contacts, whether it be social media or uh, you have my email address, you're welcome to give that out. But I would love to uh, to get some others on here. And uh, I'll definitely have you come back again uh, here in the near future and we'll, uh, we'll continue some, uh, some great discussion. And I'll let you pick the topic that we're going to talk about. How's that? The, okay, sounds good. I don't really, I'm just noticing the people that you've had on there. And that pretty much runs down most of my list of the guys that I think are good instructors. So <laughs> I'm not sure who else I can put you on to. Well, well, I'll tell you what. Um, if you come across another one that I haven't had on there, by all means, feel free to give my information out. But Sam, uh, Sam, I want to take, again, this opportunity. Thank you very much for coming on Golf Talk Live. It's It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. And um, again, for those of you tuning in, uh, you can find Sam uh, Adams uh, on all kinds of social media, but go to uh, either Google Play or go to uh, the Apple Store and download uh, Pro Swing Tips. Uh, it's a free app uh, for some great online instruction, and uh, there's some other great folks uh, in that app as well that you can uh, get in touch with, but Sam is there front and center, so make sure that you, uh, you do that. Sam, have a great weekend. Enjoy the players if you're going to watch it this weekend, and oh, uh, I look forward to having you come back and join me again. Well, I look forward to All right, my friend, you have a great delightful. All right, well, I appreciate it, Sam. Thank you very, very much, and uh, you have a great weekend. Thanks for having me, and you too. All right, thank you. All right, that was my very special guest tonight, uh, Sam Adams, a life member of the PGA of America. Uh, very interesting uh, wealth of uh, information, wealth of knowledge and uh, a very interesting guest. Um, and I want to just take this opportunity again one more time to thank John Hughes and uh, Peter Egazarian for, for joining me on Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner the, earlier this evening. Uh, but I want to thank all of you, uh, my listeners worldwide, for faithfully tuning into Golf Talk Live uh, every week. Uh, I truly do uh, get a lot of enjoyment uh, of having a number of highly talented uh, uh, coaches and teaching professionals and authors and that stop by the show. And it's really, as I've said many, many times, it's through their participation and guest appearances that help make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. Special thanks to some of the sponsors and supporters of the program, Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Uh, go to southcoastgolfguide.com. A great uh, publication that you can get. Uh, you'll get uh, sent out to you if you want to have a hard copy, or you can visit online and search around. A lot of great golf courses in there. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com. Uh, Meredith, thank you for all of your uh, continued support. Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, Mr. Bernie Pinder from ontigolf.com, Sean Kelly, and Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions uh, over in Ireland. Thanks, guys, everybody, and thank you uh, for tuning in. God bless everybody, and have a great week, and I'll see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live.